As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, You know what you're here for, so let's get to it. Our guest this morning, for the first time since all that excitement in the Middle East, it's Art de Roche and Amy Lawrence. Uh, Morning, guys. Hello, hello. Morning. Hello, hello. Nice to see you. Um, Before we get into it, unlike Amy, who watched the game on Monday from the press box and had to maintain a calm and professional (laughs) manner, and I have no idea how she managed that, Mikel you Arteta know I was didn't. very. <laughs> you looked well. over and saw my pain. <laughs> Thanks it's for true. that. It's true. I did actually speak to Amy uh, yesterday and said, I, did, I saw you in the press box and you had a slightly pained expression after the game. So I thought, I'll just leave you be rather than shout over. But the point is, the point is, Mikel Arteta was very visibly losing his call on the touchline. Now, we all know how easy it is to get stressed and lose it watching Arsenal, especially when you're in a title race. Um, So what are your number one tips for staying cool and composed whilst watching the Arsenal? Amy, what are your number one tips for staying cool and composed? My main answer to that question would be you're asking the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure anyone is the right person, really. But if you had to do something, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I feel like I, I should probably take up meditation or something. In because <laughs> during I, the in, game, in, in my many years of, of uh, observational service watching the Arsenal, I, I can't pretend that I've come up with a master plan. I will say that there is a, a, a fundamental difference if working or not, and that is you know being at work and having that kind of responsibility does have a a knock-on effect of meaning that you you just simply cannot be as emotional as you want to. Or let's just say you have to repress that emotion, uh, which is not always easy. Um, But when you're out there in in the crowd, obviously... um, I think swearing helps, I'll be honest with you. I did loads of swearing the other day. Yeah, I mean, I, I swore actually more think than I thought it does help. Necessary. So, yes, well, that's all good. Um, <laughs> I do remember a couple of moments of extreme uh, tension. 
I remember I remember retaking up smoking at Oaks Air in 1995 <laughs> at half time yeah. having because uh, yeah. I do it was just too awful and I did uh, that crossed my mind funnily enough I remembered that feeling at the game against Newcastle which is not a good sign because there's a you know <laughs> there's a lot more to go on the kind of tension it's stakes true. one would think so it's a bit early to be thinking about breaking a kind of 10 years without a cigarette I would vibe. say so. I would, and also very, very unhealthy as well. I mean, it was. I do remember the days when we could smoke at Highbury, and uh, and there was the uh, the whiff of uh, funny cigarettes, shall we say? <laughs> that certainly kept people uh, calmer. One other thing I must touch on. Uh, you're right. When you're working, it's slightly different. Um, and I've never been to Arsenal working, although I should say that these season tickets are tax deductible, so perhaps I am. But, uh, <laughs> but you most but, yeah. definitely are. <laughs> I, oh yeah, work, work, work. Here we go again. What about you, Art? What have you got for us? It, to be fair, mine was along similar lines as Amy. I could only really think of only work to be calm because I guess the game that sticks out for me is Brentford first day of the season last year, where oh. obviously it's. Uh, 2-0 and there's actually like a photo of the press box that's and, right of course and you can see my face and I've just got like the longest thousand yard stare ever I'm just yeah. looking into nothingness and I think in those kind of I guess we call them tense moments I, I, feel, I guess Amy may feel the same you almost go a bit empty I feel you just kind of detach yourself from emotion so that's the only thing I could think of. Other than that, just be as stressed as you want, because otherwise, I think no one, no one would watch the game. <laughs> well, quite, and that is part of the emotion. Uh, in terms of, by the way, in terms of the uh, some sort of meditation, I just like the idea. For <laughs> tense moments, I turn around and hear um. <laughs> What's Amy doing? Oh, don't mind what I do. She's just coping, coping with a free kick. Um, I mean, I should also say the players were cooler than the manager, uh, I think, uh, uh, the other day. Uh, and I and I was thinking about it, and I think all that running about took the edge off a little bit. So I was thinking, right, if you're watching at home, perhaps some running on the spot every time there's like a dodgy decision. <laughs> you know, get your heart... Obviously, on Tuesday night, you'd have done a marathon with the, the referee. <laughs> yeah, but that's another point. Um, incidentally, I asked my partner about this, and she said, it's not possible, you have to suffer. <laughs> She said, it's like a hair shirt that monks used to wear in the 17th century. And I think she has a point, actually. Uh, and that being the case, we're going to do a lot more suffering between now and the end of the season. Shaka helps it on. It's Eddie Nketiah! Denied by the foot of Nick Pope. That touch is really good. Doesn't do a lot wrong there, Nketiah. I'm really proud of the team. Uh, the way we played, the way we dominated the game, um, the way we... Uh, approach the whole game the way we generated a lot of situation probably not enough chances we liked that the spark in the final third to get an extra pass or the right movement and timing to to score the goal we had some chances and then obviously there were two scandalous penalties that uh, they weren't given Arsenal nil Newcastle nil we're a couple of days after the game uh, so we're not going to go into too much detail yes we probably should have had a penalty. Yes, the officiating was terrible. Uh, I mean, terrible. And yes, five minutes added time was taken. You know what? But I suppose what we want to talk about today is what we learnt from the game. Um, Art, I'm going to come to you first. Is it really as simple as strength in depth? Essentially, have a couple of world-class attacking players on the bench like Man City, bring them on after 70 minutes and we probably win 1-0. Yeah, I think 
the the word that Mikel Arteta used after the game in terms of what happened in the final third was just sharpness. And I think that's kind of spot on, really, because he saw a lot of the times Arsenal were able to create situations, moments, but it was almost just an inch that was in it. And I think you saw, I guess, in the Brighton game, those inches went for Arsenal. Against Newcastle, they just didn't. And I think that's where the difference really was. It wasn't really to do with the performance because I thought they performed quite well. Obviously not amazing, but they didn't perform badly. So I think you do see, I guess, if they were able to bring on some fresher legs uh, higher up the pitch, that probably could have made a difference, um, especially because Newcastle just set up the way they did from minute one. I think we all kind of knew how long the night would be uh, from the first kind of 10 minutes of that game. Yeah, and and we were talking about this um, just before we got on air um, about the way Newcastle set up and 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 not not progressive really, but they got a point. But Amy, is it really a compliment to us and about how good we've got that a team who are third in the league and who've got some players, you know, Almiron and Joe, they've got some decent players, but the way they set up was really almost entirely to stop us. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably not too far from the truth. And, you know, Arsene Wenger always used to, sometimes to a fault, have this thing where it was all about the way that we play. It was all about the way that Arsenal play. He was he was not one of those more modern kind of managers who obsesses with the intricacies of the opposition and makes adjustments accordingly. And I think that, that you know, Arteta wants Arsenal to play Arsenal's way in a not dissimilar way. To, to to Arsene, but he is more pragmatic than that. And for example, I think that in the preparations, there were two major things that Arsenal were aware of, while obviously trying to play their attacking game as well, was that A, it was going to be a bit like, it was going to be a buffeting environment. You know, you were going to get knocked about. I think they were expecting that. Uh, it would be disruptive and physical. Uh, and obviously the the threat that Newcastle had from set plays was the main concern. And I think that that was one of the things at the end of the night when the dust had settled and everything. They did have quite a lot of corners and free kicks and Arsenal didn't really let them uh, profit from that. I think they managed those situations quite well, considering the height disadvantage. So... Arsenal still did try to play their way much more than Newcastle. But I think given Newcastle's... uh, uh, where they are in their own evolution, it was absolutely the right thing for them to do and and they were within their rights to do it. But the frustration was the knowledge that Arsenal possibly should have had enough regardless of that to, to find that small degree that would make the difference. Now, whether that was the inch of detail that Art was talking about, and it wasn't quite as precise a performance as some of the others, but I felt I felt like some of the guys looked a bit spent. You know, they looked a bit tired. They were trying. You could not fault the effort levels, which were monumental. But just going and going and going and going at full pelt in attack, those same front four players, uh, without any kind of option to switch it up, or, or rest anybody. Obviously, there's a, a good 
chance now to rest it up a bit with uh, with the Oxford game in the cup, where I think quite a lot of people will be either uninvolved or peripherally involved. Um, and then Emil Smith-Rowe, hopefully making his way back sooner rather than later. I think he should be involved in that game. Helps. Yeah. Um, but it just, you know, it was... <laughs> It didn't feel like it was going to need much. It was only it was either going to need a bit of fresh legs or you know a slight a slight shift in the attacking patterns that a n other attacking player might have brought. And as lots of people quite rightly observed, you know, the, it, it, a lot of people are kind of trying to create this this scenario where it's talking about Eddie in relation to Gabriel Jesus and oh, would they have done differently if, if Gabriel Jesus had played instead of it? Well, the difference was that. If Gabriel Jesus plays, yes, he's a different kind of player, but you can still bring on Eddie, but you couldn't mm. bring on Eddie because Eddie was already on. So yeah. it just felt so striking that the need for options is imperative. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a short while. That frustration that Amy sort of mentioned there, Art, um, I mean, obviously it does show that we are definitely back because we we know how important these points could be. Could, by the way, be a very big point uh, at the end of the season. Um, and, and we maybe have to look at it like that. But in terms of the frustration of the crowd at the end of the game, do you think, oh, I'm asking you this, do you think people need to calm down a bit and enjoy the ride? Because, because that frustration surely is born out of the fact that we are in a position that we're in. Um, if we were obviously, it would still be frustrating if we're going for top four, if we're sort of fourth or fifth. But because people are starting to think we are going for the title at this point, but at the same time, we've got to enjoy this, haven't we? We've got we've got an amazing young team doing amazing things. Yeah, I, I um, personally don't mind the frustration, um, and I know obviously no one would have expected Arsenal to be top of the league, eight points clear before Man City play their game in hand uh, tonight uh, at the start of the season. But I just feel that probably the frustration comes out of sensing there's an opportunity there and wanting to take it rather than just saying, okay, we're, we're in this position, let's enjoy it. Let's actually try and take control of that situation, I think is more the vibe I got from that frustration. And it was quite interesting I think um, watching from home on Sky they had Les Ferdinand in in the kind of punditry and before the game he was asked what did it feel like when Newcastle kind of dropped points in their kind of title challenge back in 96 and he said oh they just expected to pick the points up again in the next game and that's where they start to kind of spiral so my kind of thing is Frustration is probably the right feeling to have because yeah. it could fuel you for when you come back against Tottenham, which is obviously a massive game anyway. But to have that feeling of that draw feels like a loss, which I think a lot of people had after the Southampton game earlier in the season. I think that's a good thing to have. I think what's most important of all about this sense of frustration is that absolutely no frustration is directed at the players or the manager or the staff no. or other members of the fan base. That's what's positive about it. It's a frustration directed at a sense of, of uh, hope and aspiration, not a frustration against something within the camp. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, think... I, I, I kind of feel like this is the first time 
in so long I'm not even sure I can remember that I don't even think there's like a single scapegoat of a player, even if he wanted to. Is there? Am I missing no. out? No. I, th- I think that the, the, the goodwill is uniform, which is so rare. <laughs> yeah, so I agree. Rare. I know, and I suppose I'm, all I was saying was we maybe just need to take a moment to enjoy it. But I, but Art, what you just said there, I, I would, I would completely agree. Is it's in the main a positive thing. Uh, I just had a thought, by the way, if Chelsea get Mudrick and and they somehow get him in tonight and he scores the winner <laughs> against Man City, that'd be good, right? <laughs> on a loan, no, a loan deal, on loan, on loan for one game, <laughs> just to, to just say be Man City, and then uh, we're still eight points clear. Anyway, that's by I'm the not, way, I'm not even prepared to laugh at that. <laughs> joke, Ian. Okay, that's fair enough. It was a joke. Thing. It's an was... abysmal thing to even come out of your mouth. <laughs> by the way, while we're on the subject of uh, Ukraine. One person we haven't talked about that much in this pod because he's had a few injuries, but had a spectacular game the other day. Uh, Alexander Sinchenko, the um, the stats, Amy, or the passes completed. The one that I like, passes completed between the lines, 14, and passes forward under pressure, 11. Uh, I've seen a little uh, montage of his passes forward. Um, he was breaking the lines quite a bit. I mean, Mikel Arteta must have known this when he uh, when he bought him, but but that is game changing. Having defenders who can do that, yeah, I think that the majority of Arsenal's defenders at the at the moment can play. You know, yeah, that's part yeah. of the reason why uh, this team is evolving in the way it is, and also just another word for Thomas Partey, by the way, who the way he manages the situation in midfield in a kind of busy and temperamental game like that. I just found myself kind of marvelling at his, I don't know, maybe just his body shape, the way Calm. he receives the ball under pressure yeah. in a way that seems to alleviate that pressure just by his stance and by the next move that he's got in his head. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things again. And if you're being a kind of bit of a kind of pessimist, all the, you know, for all the very very obvious obsessive talk about Mudrick and attacking players I still have the fear when it comes to Thomas Partey that he's so important (laughs) and if something happens to him you need a bit of luck you need a bit of luck in these situations though Amy right I mean I mean in the end you saw Liverpool's title run a few years ago absolutely they they did not have an injury and when they got big injuries to big players they ended up fourth or fifth so we need some luck, and and it's and that going to extend right the way through the team. But we lost, um, you know. I mean, one could argue, I guess, that losing Gabriel Jesus might have already cost us two points. But we don't. It's I don't really want to go down that road. I want to talk about the dark arts. Newcastle did a lot of lying down um, during that game. There was also they did. I mean, I was normally you say I would need to lie down after a game like that, but they had a lie down during the game. Uh, really, Amy, I've been wanting Arsenal to behave that way for years. And I'm not the only one, by the way. I mean, I can remember Barcelona, a Barcelona game where Suarez and Neymar and Messi combined on the touchline. And my basic feeling was put Suarez in the stand, Koscielny it was, and then we don't have to worry about Messi scoring one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. Um, and and I have to respect that sort of behaviour. And Mikel Arteta, by the way, used to play for Pep Guardiola and he knows all about this stuff. So, I, I, in the main, I'm, I, I don't know about this stuff, but... Right now, I'd like us to stoop to that level. <laughs> Ian, I think the much more vital aspect was that Arsenal didn't get suckered in to the point where it was a self-destruction. 
And I don't mind admitting that at half time, I went to the loo. The ladies' toilets in the press lounge are quite quiet, so it was a moment of quiet reflection. (laughs) And I sat there and thought, what if? Because it was so... It was so unpredictable and chaotic Friends. out there. Yeah. Yeah. And the referee was seen so uh, zany with his decisions that I thought, he's going to book Saka, he's going to book Saliba, and he's going to send off Saka. <laughs> and we're going to suddenly find Arsenal absolutely decimated with key, of key players you know, ahead of uh, uh, playing Tottenham or whatever. And none of that happened. Exactly. So... I think there is a certain credit that is needed that, you know, it's one thing dishing out the dark arts, but it's the other side of that coin is handling them if you are confronted by them. And I suspect that a lot more teams are going to try plenty of dark arts. In fact, I remember earlier on in the season, I think it was Fulham. I was absolutely astonished of all teams. <laughs> were really surprising that they, I'm not, they had added that to their um yeah personality which is something they hadn't had you know and certainly for much that I can remember and then under Marco Silva's uh, stewardship they suddenly became very crafty at doing whatever they could to wind Arsenal up and it made for quite a tense game actually it did it did um so I I wouldn't be surprised if that is something that is um it's on the table for a lot of matches and mastering those things and not becoming victims to the taunts of others and the provocations of others is going to be an important thing for this young team to be able to handle. Quite. Uh, a word for Bukayo Saka's Christian forbearance at this point when he was walking towards the um, uh, the assistant manager, uh, is it Jason Tindall? And he threw the ball <laughs> past Bukayo Saka. And I thought, well, can you imagine if Saka goes up and shoves him and then gets a book in and misses, <laughs> misses the Tottenham game? But he didn't. He just smiled in that, you know, in that I forgive you way. Mm. And I uh, and I thought, good on him for doing that. Because Amy's right. They could have lost it. That first half, it certainly felt that way, but it calmed down a little bit. I, I'm sure I'm like in a majority with the people who are listening who watch and read Harry Potter in thinking all I could think about during Amy's segment there was defense against the dark arts in Harry Potter and it seems like um, maybe Mikel Arteta's got someone from Hogwarts down to London Colney for a few sessions because yeah I think they have been probably in the last few years one too honest so they will be almost too nice at times and two, almost playing the victims too much sometimes. Whereas now I think you're seeing not just they've matured in a football sense, but also you can see that uh, personality-wise as well, I think. And when you're looking at the whole squad, I think the one guy that probably signifies that is Ben White or Benjamin, whichever one you want to go with. Um, Yeah. Because... He can dish it out, but he can also take it quite well. Um, so I think hopefully for the rest of the year, um, there's still a Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher um, employed at London Colney. Well, the, uh, the ha- Harry Potter world is just round the corner from London Colney. It's not far at all, so uh, there may be more to Field trip, Platform nine, what you've been suggesting. Platform nine and three quarters is just up the road at King's Cross, isn't it, to be fair? 
Uh, all right. Anyway, we uh, we come away from uh, frustrated uh, from a game where we've moved eight points clear of Manchester City at the top of the Premier League. So uh, there's no doubt that things are moving uh, in the right direction. Uh, and we go again at the weekend. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Amy Lawrence, Art de Rocher, and me, Ian Stone, on handbrake off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Um, by the way, Mihailo Mudrik, that was a joke about Mudrik, Amy, all right? I want him to come to Arsenal. I genuinely do. Yeah, I, I don't ju- want Chelsea. I still remember that you wanted Jose Mourinho as Arsenal. I'm just throwing that out there <laughs> oh, while we're... Um, oh, you know. I mean, look, can I just say at this point that I, I... Yes, there was... What I wanted was someone experienced. That is absolutely the case, and I'm and I'm prepared to defend that. I got that completely wrong. I think it's fair to say that most of us got it completely wrong uh, about Mikel Arteta, did we not? I mean, is there anyone... Let he, continuing the Christian theme, let he who did not doubt uh, uh, Mikel, uh, uh, Mikel Arteta cast the first stone in this particular case. Um, Mikhailo Mudrik is 22 years old today. Uh, happy birthday, Mikhailo, if you're listening. I know you do hoover up Arsenal content. Um, Art, do you think we should chuck in a cake and some balloons to sweeten the deal? Do you think that would help? I mean... Could have worked with Yaya Torre in Man City a few years ago, so who knows? I was going to say, that's what I'm thinking. Players players find this sort of stuff important. Yeah, Maybe I mean, that's what the agent is waiting for. I don't, I don't think it's the player that needs, needs sweetening <laughs> yeah. up, boys. No. Yeah, need no. to find out when all the Shakhtar directors' birthdays are and go, go for them. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, the, the lot who are doing our negotiation, they're good at this sort of stuff. So I imagine they've got that sort of uh, information in the bank. Um, not having Jesus, Amy, 
has it affected our bargaining power? I mean, if we had Jesus, we could have said, look, we'll wait till the summer. He won't be worth 85 million quid then. But they know that we need the player. I don't know how much it affects things because I think even if we did still had uh, Jesus, we would be um, interested in this kind of situation. Remember that Mikel Arteta requested more firepower in the summer and had, you know, bids for Rafinha and so on. Um, I guess the frustration maybe is that he might have been more available in the summer at uh, a more reasonable price. And it's not like he's appeared from nowhere. Arsenal would have known about him then. But they chose to spend that money elsewhere. So I guess, you know, the the young player where they took the gamble, um, who they have hopes to evolve into a superstar, was Fabio Vieira in the summer. You know, have things fallen differently? You know, I don't know what's changed. It maybe is a simple thing that Zinchenko is at the club since summer and has been a big part of the way that everybody feels about this deal. You know, he's, you know, he's obviously quite an important mediator. I think he must have done a, a significant sales job um, to make well, it so misses. obvious. Yeah, but I mean, it's unusual to have a young player who has no real reason to have a, a, you know, a desperation to come to, to Arsenal over any other club. To be as you know, and he's clearly very, very coveted, and will continue to be coveted, whether he leaves this January or not, all over the place. And he's made his mind up that he wants to come to Arsenal, and I, and that is in itself an interesting development. You know, the fact that Arsenal are looking like a destination place for some of the best talent around. You know, for yeah. wh- whatever the reasons are, it's where they want to be. The complication is making it happen because, you know, the, the there's absolute commitment between Arsenal and Mudrik. But the external forces, the dark arts of the transfer world, if you will, are really difficult. You know, Shakhtar are intent on playing hardball. They don't have to sell. They have a billionaire owner, I think. They need some money. Yeah, they're but, you suing know, FIFA for fifty million euros in damages, having lost a number of their foreign players for free because of the yeah, war. Yeah, but that's a different scenario. That is a, that is almost more a kind of um, morality. Adam Crafton has written thing. about this, by the way, yes. in the Athletic. Yeah. Yes, but but in, on this particular case, they they are not under pressure to sell him this January. No, uh, it's not a kind of um, one of those things that they have to do. Right. And then there's other clubs who like to make a bit of mischief. And that yeah, doesn't help. Which, yeah, certainly feels. I mean, Chelsea are basically in the market for anyone who's, uh, who can stand up and kick a ball in the right direction. Um, I mean, that being the case, Art, because we're basically saying something like 66 million and they're saying something like 85 million, should we walk away and look for plan B at this point? I mean, our transfer policy since Mikel Arteta arrived has been essentially a model of probity and self-restraint. It, Pretty much every player uh, he's bought has increased in value. Um, pretty much. Uh, sorry, Amy, you want to say something? Yeah, but pretty much all the you know all those players have been people that he absolutely wants. You know, if they, if it was going to take fifty million for Ben White, even though it felt inflated at the time, or it was going to take thirty six million for Aaron Ramsdale, these were the players he wanted, Are you and saying not others. Should... He didn't want to walk away from those deals to go for Plan B. Both players wanted to come. Arteta wanted both of them. And 
you know, Arsenal wanted a, a cheaper deal for both of them and couldn't get them. So it was I'm a case of do a it question, or not Amy. do it. All right. So, all right. Amy is essentially saying we should spend that money, right? Well, uh, our... it, it, I'm not saying that. I mean, you've got to have the money to spend. And I don't know if Arsenal have got 80 million for this particular signing because it is extremely steep. But what I am saying is that that history suggests, recent history suggests, that when Arteta's got his mind on a player like Gabriel Jesus, he didn't want anyone else. He wanted him. And he was, and he waited for him. That's why. That's one of the reasons why Arsenal didn't get a a, a striker when Aubameyang went last January. He's well, waiting can... for his man. He knew that was going to happen, and he wanted him. So can we wait? Then is the other because we do no, need reinforcements. We can't. We can't. Uh, Arsenal cannot wait. So yes. the so question becomes: Do they have to deviate from this commitment to the, per, the person that Arteta wants as number one? Or deviate from the amount de- of money that we yeah, want to but spend. Yeah, so, something's probably got to give. Yeah. Art, what do you think? I'm very much on kind of Amy's side here because I think... By the uh, way, I'm not taking sides no, here. Oh, I'm okay, just sorry, asking. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. All right, all right. <laughs> do we go from Mourinho? That's what you want me to ask. Right? <laughs> all right, I, I will say I, I agree with Amy's points then. I'll word it yeah. like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I just feel when when you see how they've gone about their business over the past two, three years, you, there are clear themes that have developed. And I think last January is probably the, or last January and summer combined are the best kind of example because I think everybody wanted them to go for a striker and a midfielder last January. I remember it just felt like the days were going, you could count, you, you could count it and think, you're really missing an opportunity here, but they didn't. And whether that was right or wrong, they obviously missed out on the Champions League. They then went in the summer and went for their their main targets, who obviously they were interested in before last January. Um, so I think it's not really a case of looking at it as uh, Mudrick or Plan B. It's more what are the circumstances that can make Mudrick possible and I think Ramsdale Amy bringing up Ramsdale is probably a really good kind of comparison because that was something that took a while in that summer if you remember how um, I guess uh, stringent Sheffield United were at the time in terms of not wanting to buckle from their demands but obviously Arsenal were able to get that that done um, a bit later in the window so I don't know whether that will be the case again but obviously as as Amy said as well other teams getting in the mix doesn't make it any easier No, but, uh, but uh, as you said Amy we're competing at the top end now we are a destination club we've had all sorts of superstars talking about us sorry Amy you wanted to come in I was just wondering I was going to ask both of you like on a scale of like of 1 to 10 how desperate are you for Mudrick in particular because I know I'm probably more desperate than I feel comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you answer first. Hmm. Desperation. I don't think the desperation's kicked in for me just yet. And the main reason for that is Emil Smith-Rowe. I'm more desperate for him to return than Mudrick to sign. And that may just be because in terms of me looking at this Arsenal squad, he is the one who has the most kind of X factor in a way in that midfield. I just feel he's so different to everyone else, 
But then you look at Mudrick, and he he's almost like Smith Rowe on. I was gonna name a steroids. <laughs> I didn't want to name a substance, but we'll go. I thought with you were it. gonna. I thought you were gonna say something. I'm trying to help no, no, you out no, there. Creatine, really good vitamins. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that desperation yeah. will probably kick in soon. But yeah, I I'm more at the minute. I'm on the kind of get my boy Smith Rowe back in train because. Um, I feel like I've been waiting too long. <laughs> That's a really good answer. Um, for me, oh, I want I want Modric to come. I, Modric to come at this point, and uh, partly because I think of the message it puts out there. I think Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko were a certain level, and I think Modric, in a strange way, is another level. He's basically mm. coveted by pretty much every club. Uh, almost any club in Europe would go for him at this point, and if he comes to us. And I think that says a lot about where the players see our ambition. So, yeah, I want I want him there. Really, um, there was there was talk, by the way, about maybe bringing back the other option is to maybe bring back some of the younger players. Um, Flo Balogun is scoring goals for fun in uh, Liga. Um, do you think, Amy, that's putting a bit too much pressure on young players to to bring them into this sort of situation? I don't think it's that because our, our Arsenal's young players and the environment around the club has shown that they can all cope quite well with that. I think that the I just sort of trust the club in terms of the overall development that they sort yeah. of know what they're doing on that front, even though I would have argued that having Saliba last season rather than him having on loan would have been prefer- my preference. But, uh, you know, overall, I think uh, Arteta and his staff have earned the right to feel that if that full season there is more beneficial than a half season back here, then we've got to go with that. But also bear in mind, I guess there's still a little bit longer in January and it may be dependent on what does or doesn't happen in the meantime. Quite. Um, I want to talk Art, briefly about a couple of pieces you wrote on the Athletic website. You talked about Arsenal's bravery and, com- and composure this season. I think it's been very apparent. Uh, both of those things have we've 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 shown a lot of bravery and composure. Knowing when to attack was one of the things that you mentioned. Could you maybe expand on that briefly? Yeah, I think when most people hear the word brave in a football context, they probably think of uh, some centre back kind of John bri- Terry. Yeah, John Terry putting his head in the way of something, or <laughs> Tony Adams, or yeah, yeah, that's the image they kind of have. But when talking about it in this context, it's more sensing blood and going for it when you have the ball I think the the kind of image that stuck in my mind was Martin Erdegaard in the first minute against Brighton he gets the ball and rather than looking for a pass his first thought is I'm driving forward into the box yes and that just takes Arsenal into a really good position they have I think they had every outfit player in the Brighton half they lose the ball, they win it back, and then they score within two minutes. And I think that's more what I'm talking about in terms of bravery and knowing when to attack is when you can feel, I guess, there's an opportunity to go for something and you go for it. Uh, I think they've been doing that throughout the season. Obviously, that's a large kind of reason behind why they've started so many games so quickly with goals. Uh, the Liverpool game, the Nottingham Forest game, Palace away, Brentford away as well. There's just a kind of urgency, I think, about them, uh, which has 
been really nice to see. And then the composure thing is more down to, I guess, understanding the situations of games a bit better. And the moment in the Brighton game that kind of stuck out was, um, again, kind of similar to the Newcastle game. It was very frantic at one point and the ball pops out to Martinelli and he goes to make that run at his fullback and you can see Arteta go, calm down, calm down. And then he just moves the ball back and Arsenal are a bit more patient in their attack and they win the corner that leads to Martin Erdegaard's goal. And I just think in those small moments, they've got better at, um, I guess, dealing with with the pace and intensity of games. Is there something, Amy, in that about growing up together as a team, which it does seem to be what's happening with these young players? Um... I don't know. I, I I think it's to do with learning. I think it's to do with the environment in which they're learning from, you know, the manager exactly how he wants them to think on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's very, very pleasing to see the way in which they are controlling uh, games. Uh, and it is worth pointing out that Newcastle hardly had a sniff, really. And any sniffs they did have the other day were really down to us. Um Oh, another piece you wrote um, was uh, looking forward. If we look forward, we've got Oxford coming up in the Cup on uh, at the weekend and then we've got Spurs and Manchester United after that. But the piece you wrote specifically looked at teams after 17 games, how many points they had, where they were and what they went on to do. Um, I would say... Uh, listener, that some of these, some of that piece is a bit depressing. Really, when you see uh, see the the way they've got this little graphic where you can see Arsenal being at the top after games, and then down they go to second place or possibly third place. Uh, two thousand and seven, two thousand eight was a particularly upsetting one uh, for me uh, to remember. Um, I mean, a lot of teams win the title from this position. The difference that we that doesn't come across in what you wrote was that a lot of teams were not up against a nation state or indeed two <laughs> nation states in this particular case. Yeah, I, I think the main difference if we're just like talking football is the points tallies and the, the separation that teams had. When you look at those obviously three times Arsenal have been in the same position after 17 games. So... 2007, 8, 2002, 3, and 96, 97. The biggest gap they had was two points. And when you look at it from that perspective, rather than just, oh, Arsenal were top and then they weren't able to win the league, I think you see it's a lot more understandable why they didn't go on to win it from there. And what kind of came across, what came across in kind of looking at all the seasons was failing to win the league from that position was a lot more common in the first like 10, 15 Premier League seasons yes. compared to the last 10 or 15. And I think the fact that Arsenal do have, obviously it's eight points now, Could if, even if it goes to five points tonight, it's still a healthy buffer because in that kind of last 10 years spell, it has been, I think, only three times teams have not won the league from that position and again I think the the points gap was zero points on one occasion and one point on two occasions so it's more about the points you have rather than the position you're in I think yeah I mean Amy we're not going to um I mean I'm not even going to say blow it because I don't believe we will but it's not going to not happen because of complacency is it I, I, I mean <sighs> Wow. Um, 
<laughs> well, no, because because we we mentioned earlier. Sorry, I'm asking that question because we were talking about um, Les Ferdinand being a pundit and talked about how Newcastle um, in '96 they just thought that they would get more points. They thought, oh yeah, well we didn't win that one. It'll be all right because we still got a nine point gap. But that is not the way that Mikel yeah, but Arteta. That was a worked. really really long time ago. That was what ninety. 90- Five ninety six. You know, it's a completely different era of football, and you know, in those days, I think generally title races were, you know, you were up against one or two really strong opponents. It's not not quite the same as now, where there's, you know, we're coming up for seven or eight teams who uh, all have a lot of power towards the top. Of, they might not all be playing very well, but you know, all feel like they have that potential to be a serious player at the top of the table I would also uh, ask you do you know what Arsenal's position was in the Invincible season after 17 games we were second yeah, weren't we oh. not even top of the league by the way yeah, um, yeah. Well, would you rather be chasing I don't, that's not I don't really care to be honest that's not I, I think it's far too early I think the question about whether you're chasing or whether you're you know leading from the front is an issue much further down the line we are still so, we're not even halfway it's still so early. And I think that's what bothers me about these kind of projections is that, you know, there's an assumption that you keep going. If Arsenal have had a phenomenal start to the season in terms of points. Obviously, it's like best ever, right? Why do we assume that they're going to maintain that level for a whole season? Because generally, that doesn't happen. Especially if you're not, like, backed in the way that Man City might be let's just say, for example, or Bayern Munich in Germany or this, that or the other. It's not normal for a club like Arsenal to sustain that kind of level for 38 matches. You know, when people are, are saying, oh, yeah, well, if they keep going like this, they're going to get this many points or this many goals. Or this. It's, just, it's just not the right time and not the right thinking. And I, I, I think that everything that comes out of the club tells you that the club are not thinking that way either. You know, whenever they've given an given an opportunity to talk about, oh, how does this, what does this mean in terms of, you know, this or that or the title or this, or next this, game. they don't want to know. Next game, next game, next game. And yeah. one of the reasons for that as well, that I think is has been quite good fuel for this team, is remembering how they felt at the end of last season. And I think it's Ramsdale who might have talked about that in the past. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, where it's like. That level of pain and torturous kind of self-disappointment, if you felt it, it can, it can, you, you might, it might make you feel like you can't handle it and, you know, you're going to throw the towel again, or it might give you that inner power and will and drive just to, to do everything in your power to not feel that way again. And I will always, to my dying day, remember Tony Adams getting hold of me at the airport in 1995 after the European Cup Winners' Cup final. Look it up, kids, if you don't know what horror show happened there. And he was a captain of the club, and he said, you learn more from your defeats than your victories. And... Arsenal went on after that, not that much longer on, to be double winners and, you know, have a glorious time under Arsene Wenger at the beginning of his reign. But I think that what they missed... Look, there's different types of 
when you lose, let's just say. So taking, for example, the dreaded European final in Baku under Unai Emery, right? Nobody wants to think about that again, but I'm just using it as an example. Do you take that to drive you on for the next time? Well, it depends on the makeup of your team and your squad and your manager. And that group wasn't right. You know, when when we look back, that group and what was going on in there didn't have enough of the right stuff to be able to use that to ignite something, to push them on. In many ways, it was like more of a kind of confirmation of like, oh, you know. Yeah. It's never going to happen. This group, this manager, these players, this environment, totally different. And I think that's where they are rooted in what happened at the end of last season and using that in a positive way. Yeah. Just hold on to the pain, <laughs> essentially. Just keep hold of it and use it as rocket fuel. Uh, we talked about it the other day uh, on the pod and no doubt uh, we'll talk about it again. Uh, it seems to be working so far, though, which is great. Uh, let's have a song uh, to end. Art. What have you got for us as a song? I've completely forgotten to... to, to <laughs> Do you know what? Have a look up. I'm, I'm going to ask Amy. Amy, what, what, all right, well, what have you got, Amy? No, I'm not going to tell I, I went through about five or six totally different songs with totally different, you know, based on totally different connections. But I'm plumping, because I am mildly desperate and obsessed at the moment, for altered images and my favourite version of Happy Birthday from Mikhailo Mudrik in the hope that any kind of good vibes might get this thing done. I love Claire Grogan. I saw her live. I saw them live and I thought they were great. Um, all right, well, uh, while Art is, uh, is frantically Googling <laughs> songs to do with pain or keeping it calm, um, have you found one? No, I reckon Amy can just give me one. Uh, Shall go I give on, you Amy. One? Give him, yeah. give him okay, one. Okay, one of go my on. alternative ones that I almost went for, a classic by the Rolling Stones, and you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need, which is also about Kylo Woodrick. <laughs> <laughs> you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes, you might find Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm going with the uh, keeping calm and cool theme. Uh, as some of you may know, I love a musical. So, uh, cool from West Side Story. Because, you know what? Let's just stay cool. Because we've got some big games coming up. I thought you were going to go cool, <laughs> cool in the gang there with your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I guess I could have done. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm having. Uh, that's it for Handbrake Off. Uh, thank you to Amy. Thank you to R. And thank you to Jesse, who's been standing in uh, looking after us, uh, our producer, for a couple of weeks. Uh, I believe Abby is back uh, pretty soon. And thank you to you, listener. Uh, enjoy Oxford. Uh, in the cup and watching some of the kids uh, <laughs> I imagine quite a few of them will be getting a run out uh, at the weekend and um, see you soon ta right.